This is the Insurance Law Podcast, brought to you by Best Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, the broadcast about timely and important legal issues affecting the insurance industry. I'm John Zuba, Managing Editor of Best Recommended Insurance Attorneys. We're pleased to have with us today Attorney Terry Levy from the law firm of Ernest & Bowling with offices throughout Florida, Georgia, Alabama, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Mississippi. Terry is a board-certified specialist in construction law and works in the southwest and central Florida office out of their Fort Myers location. Construction litigation and first-party insurance matters are his primary areas of practice. Terry has represented developers, general contractors, and subcontractors in construction defect disputes. Terry also assists insurance clients in pre-suit investigations and defense of litigated matters. Terry, we are very pleased to have you with us this morning. Thanks, John. I'm glad to be here. Today's discussion pertains to construction defect litigation. And Terry, can you start out by telling us what are some of your clients' concerns related to construction defect litigation? Well, what you find is that uh, the contractors and the insurers are, first off, very concerned about trying to assess the claims right off the bat. Um, Without exception, what I find is the contractors and their subs are usually stand-up guys who really want to stand behind their work. And that makes them great for clients um, and motivated to help with respect to the defense. Both the insurers and the contractors are concerned about um, the major factors that they're going to see. How long is it going to take to litigate it? What are the expenses of the litigation? And what you wind up with is a difficulty that the cases themselves tend to be very complex. And Terry, what is it that makes construction defect litigation so complex? Well, there are a bunch of things, really. Just starting off with the very idea of the number of parties that's there. If you take the typical condominium case, you can have well upwards of 10 defendants, any number of parties, including condominium boards, developers, architects, engineers, general contractors, and God knows how many uh, relevant subcontractors, almost always including roofers, window installers, and that sort of thing. Um, we've had some major cases pending right now that have had upward to 25 parties. Each of those have their own people, and it makes for just sort of a very long process. Secondly, there tends to be an overlap in the work. Um, just taking as a typical example, if you look at a window leak situation, you have numerous trades that actually their work meets at that location. So you can have issues with respect to the design of the window opening, the general contractor staging of the work, the framer, the concrete installer, the window installer, the window manufacturer, a waterproofer, a painter, and sometimes stucco people as well. Uh, In fact, that's pretty common. We tend to see the entire range of that, and that overlap of work just makes it very difficult when push comes to shove and each party is saying, no, it's not my fault. You also wind up with, just by the nature of the beast, with that many parties involved in the typical uh, case, you also wind up with a lot of pleadings. Um, You can see up to six or seven sometimes amendments to the complaint just to make sure the allegations are correct. Um, And then you see counterclaims, counterclaims, cross-claims, and third-party claims that just add into the mix. So just keeping track of the active and immediate pleadings really requires an attention to detail, and you need to know that your attorney that's handling the matter is on the ball with that. 
Um, one other thing that also comes up very often is indemnification issues, and that's part of what you see in the pleadings. And Terry, can you explain or elaborate by what you mean by indemnification? Sure. Uh, there are three types of indemnification issues that come up ordinarily. Um, and what you find is that the developer or the general contractor is trying to get a subcontractor to accept responsibility for their scope of the problem. Um, they tend to come in two different parts, of course. The one is defending the claims and the other is paying for it. So you have defense and indemnification. Um, the three types of ways this is pled um, all have their own different issues. Uh, the first is common law indemnification, and that's usually where there's no formal contract, and you see that a lot with smaller contractors. Um, but it's kind of limited. The responsible subcontractors should indemnify the general contractor, but only if the general contractor is not at fault at all. And that's a really tough limitation to kind of get around if you're representing the general contractor. A second type that's a little bit easier to proceed with and which we're seeing an uptick of is contract indemnification. For that, you're going back and taking a look at the formal contract between the parties. Uh, standard contracts are often used. Uh, the AIA form includes an indemnification provision that the Florida courts like a lot. Um, and sometimes you run across homemade contracts that have uh, indemnification provisions as well. For those, you want to check them because the Florida statutes are really quite tight as far as what they will allow. And the Florida courts really don't like um, contracts that require you to be indemnified for your own negligence. And that tends to be an issue that you see litigated a bit. Uh, the third way that it comes up um, in terms of an indemnification issue is whether or not the general contractor is an additional insured under the subcontractor's policy. Again, this is usually a requirement of the standardized contracts. The AIA certainly includes it. Uh, but what you want to do if you're representing early on is find out what's actually in the policy that the general contractor is an additional insured on. Sometimes that language doesn't include very basic things like completed operations coverage. And if that coverage isn't there, then the additional insured language in the context of a litigated case really doesn't do the general contractor a heck of a lot of good. Um, in any indemnification claim, their proof tends to be a problem because where you have so many parties whose work meets at a particular location, trying to single out one from the next is a challenge. Um, there you're looking at the quality of the experts. Um, so there's a lot of complexity to indemnification issues, and it's really core to this type of litigation. Terry, what strategies do you recommend to address the client's concerns about time and costs? Well, the Florida legislature has helped us out a bit with respect to that. Um, they passed a statute which is referred to as 558, um, and what that requires is that the owner provide a notice and opportunity to cure for any contractor before he can bring suit. And this is interesting because it gives the contractor at least the opportunity to get in and find out what's wrong, or what's alleged to be wrong, I should say, um, very early on 
and maybe get a little bit of control of the process. The statute provides you with access to the property, destructive testing if needed, uh, design plans and specifications, photos, videos, expert reports, anything that you could really want and that you will eventually get in discovery, you can theoretically obtain through the 558 process if you're aggressive in pursuing it. Um, and that's not always done, but if you if you take advantage of that opportunity, it costs more up front, of course, but in the long run, it'll give you a better handle on your case sooner rather than later. And Terry, what are some of the key cases now involving insurance carriers? Well, there's an interesting one actually going up before the Florida Supreme Court right now uh, called Altman Contractors versus Crum and Forrester. And that one actually deals with the 558 notice. And the question there becomes whether or not the filing or receipt of a 558 notice actually requires the insurer to defend. Uh, at the lower courts, the trial court said that it did not because a 558 notice is not a lawsuit, essentially. At the appellate level and the 11th Circuit, the court wasn't quite so sure. So the Supreme Court is now considering that, and I would expect a decision on that maybe sometime in the fall if the Supreme Court is quick. Uh, but it does make for a very interesting issue, and it has a lot of permutations with respect to insurance companies and how they deal with um, construction defect claims from the get-go. And depending upon who your contractor is and their involvement in the claim, I think it's probably a good idea to be aggressive and get that information anyway. Um, but, of course, cost is a concern, and if you have something of a minor player, uh, pool waterproofer or something, for example, maybe you're not necessarily going to spend the time and the expense of going through that process. But if you have a general contractor um, or a stucco person or a window installer who is typically a primary target, or a roofer for that matter, um, you may want to actually consider, even if Altman goes as it should, um, you may, the carrier may want to consider uh, taking a more aggressive approach to investigation at that stage anyway. Now, Terry, the Florida Bar certifies specialists in construction law. Is this unique to Florida, or do other states supply this type of information as well? I did some checking on this um, to start with to see about uh, locations where Vernus and Bowling uh, practices, because we are all over the southeast, as you mentioned. But um, as it happens, none of the other states that we practice in provide for a bar certification in construction law. Most states do provide some form of board certification. Typically, it tends to be in litigation, um, civil trial, criminal trial, and what have you. But um, as far as board certification in construction law, the only other state that I immediately found that does that is Texas. Um, and it's really not that common a thing in Florida. Uh, what we find in southwest Florida, for example, is in these counties, there are approximately 11 board-certified um, construction law attorneys. Of those, some of them are plaintiffs-oriented, uh, um, some of them represent condominiums, and some of them just do transactional work. 
if you're looking for somebody that is a specialist in that area for the defense of the matters, well, that your options may be somewhat more limited. Um, and, of course, choosing the defense attorney wisely is a uh, first step in investigating your claim and getting it resolved at a reasonable resolution. Terry, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you, John. That was attorney Terry Levy from the law firm of Ernest & Bowling with offices throughout Florida, Georgia, Alabama, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Mississippi. And special thanks to today's producer, Frank Bowinkle. And thank you all for joining us for the Insurance Law Podcast. To subscribe to this audio program, go to iTunes or our webpage, www.ambest.com slash claims resource. If you have any suggestions for a future topic regarding an insurance law case or issue, please email us at lawpodcast at ambest.com. I'm John Zuba, and now this message. Best Insurance Professionals and Claims Resource is the top website for locating qualified professionals and need-to-know insurance information for the claims market. Brought to you by AMBest, the world leader in insurance industry information. Visit ambest.com slash claims resource.